Hi, welcome back to another episode of Chris Dyer's Creative Friends, the super awesome podcast show where me, your artist friend Chris Dyer, talks to all his amazing creative friends. Today, I'm in Quilmaná, Peru, at the country house of my parents, and I'm going to be interviewing my own mother, Josephine Dyer. So, what to say about my mom? I love her. She gave birth to me. She raised me. She's a beautiful, elegant lady with so many great perspectives, and I would say one of the biggest persons who's influenced positivity and a good outlook in life, in my life. And uh, I wanted to share this with you. It's opening up a little bit of my personal internet space, both my home and my family. But this shows about uh, sharing myself and the people I connect with and how could I not share one of the closest friends to me, you know, the closest creative friends to me. So here we go and I hope you enjoy it. Blessings. Hi, Mom. Thanks for having me in your living room and for being part of my podcast show. Well, thank you for inviting me. I think this is really something special. Are you nervous? A bit, yes, because I'm not a full-fledged artist and uh, you have interviewed so many interesting and important people. Well, thanks for watching my show. I know you try to catch most of them. Is there any uh, guests or interviews that caught your attention? Yes, um, I must say I wrote a list down because uh, I can't remember all of them because there's so many. In mm -hmm. fact, there are many more, but I can't mention them. Um, well, obviously, your brother Patrick Peru and his long trajectory on, in art um, with Cirque du Soleil on Facebook, diners, and he's gone to Japan and Spain and USA, and now SpaceX out into the atmosphere. Uh -huh. That's really something special. Then Miki Gonzalez, I love his music. Uh -huh. um, it's a fusion of Peruvian music with Negroid, and he has a very good rhythm. I would advise people to listen to his music, Miki Gonzalez. Mauro Reategui has a a jungle uh, kind of um, spiritual way of displaying his art that is magical. It's, yeah. it's out of this and world. And you met him in the jungle, right? I met him and, yeah. uh, and I really like his uh, art. It's different. It's absolutely different. Then um, Leila, she was interesting to hear. Leila's on fire. Montreal yeah. artist, one of the first shows. Conrad Flores, Entes, Ben Zion, Spiro. She has an explosive uh, way of um, displaying her art, explosive with colors, very cheerful. Valerie and, and many more. Yeah. Uh, probably. Um, Valerie, my ex wife, was part of the show too. 
we'll we'll put the uh, episode numbers as you you say it. So if people want to like check it out, mm-hmm. they can. Yeah. So, mom, um, <clears throat> where are we right now? Right now, we're in our farm, our avocado farm. Uh, What's the name of the town? In Kilmana, uh, which is a small town uh, in the north part of Cañete. It's uh, a town that's pretty lost and dusty, but we've made our farm um, full of palm trees and uh, fruit trees. Not only avocado, but we have grapes and uh, passion fruit, bananas, uh, berries. a, a bit of everything that, uh, depending on the time of year, uh, we enjoy, and it's all organic. So thank, mm-hmm. thank the universe and the cosmos. Uh, we're very healthy. So it's like a retirement project, huh? Yes. And you guys was. have built this house and other... Yes. Um, between Teddy and I, we designed it in sort of a European country house with... Um, uh, beams and bay windows um, and spacious, rather spacious and fresh with uh, double windows, the so windows on the first floor and on, on the roof near the ceiling so the air can change because it does go up to 40 degrees Celsius. And you guys Celsius. got no air conditioning here? No, just fans. Um, I'm a bit anti air conditioning uh-huh. mm-hmm. and it seems like here it's the perfect place for your, your different collections your art collection and what what are the collections that you guys have well Teddy collects beer mugs and um, um, coasters corks uh, toy cars fine toy cars um, um, he just collects about everything. <laughs> yeah. What about you? I've collected about nine elephants with the trunk up because they say it gives you good luck. I'm not superstitious really, but it makes me happy anyway because it was given to me. They were given to me. And uh, perfume bottles um, of different parts uh, of Belgium and Canada and Peru, China and so forth. I haven't been to China yet, but some of them are Chinese carved uh, perfume bottles. So how is living in the countryside of Peru? Like this is two hours south of Lima, the big city of 10 million people. And all of a sudden you're in a small agricultural valley. Uh, how is it to be in the country? Is it relaxing? Is it boring? Is it a lot of hard work? Um, how is it? Um, First of all, nature makes me very happy and the sun makes me very happy. It cheers me up as soon as it starts uh, shining at about seven o'clock in the morning. It comes through all the windows on all sides. Um, That's what makes me happy and it's very peaceful. You don't hear traffic. I I just hear birds and donkeys and um, roosters, uh, dogs. Uh, It's very peaceful. It allows me to do some reading and have some peaceful moments as well when I'm having my solitude moment, which I like, I enjoy. Um, I love it. I try to sit in the terrace as much as I can, especially in summer. And in winter, it's a bit chilly and humid. But on the whole, the house keeps warm because somehow the roof attracts the heat 
of the day, and then it keeps warm in the evenings. Because it's all brick. Yes, yeah. brick and wood. Do you got any time to do your art or play your guitar or are you working too much? Well, um, in the afternoons I do a little bit of hobbies. I, I read um, and uh, I have been postponing my guitar practicing. I do want to get on with it because I do. it's a, an instrument that you can carry anywhere. Sometimes we go to the beach and we do a bonfire or we go to some friend's house and have lunch or just be together anywhere and you can carry the instrument. You can't carry a piano, you can't carry a, a battery of drums for example. Maybe Maybe you could if you make it a project but a guitar, I think it's cheerful, and um, a lot of music is basically guitar playing. So I'll pursue it, I promise. Mm -hmm. And um, reading and drawing and uh, painting. Do you do Med much art? Do you consider yourself an artist? Um, I draw, I like to draw a lot. Lately I'm drawing more, uh, more than painting. And um, I don't know if I consider myself an artist, but I do like art very much. I mean, you can see the art here. I mean, in all the walls, um, this house is already like a Swiss cheese full of holes with pictures hanging and they're all originals. They're, they're good originals. Um, but no, if I would consider myself an artist, I would hang one of my pictures. I just have them hidden away. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I enjoy it. And when I have a look, I remember that, for example, I did a, a little sculpture when Patrick was two years old and you were about five years old when we lived in Jorge Bucle in Lima. And Patrick would play with my friend's daughter. And that brings me memories where I have done my drawings or my paintings. I've done pastels and acrylics and um, watercolors. And um, as an art appreciator, the style of art that you like is more like classic Peruvian paintings and stuff like that. And just to wrap up what you're saying, I encourage you to frame at least one of your drawings or paintings and, and share it on the, on the gallery. But what is your opinion or perspective or feeling about the murals that my brother and I have brought both of our art and our friends? Well, they're very cheerful. They're full of colors. They're full of life. And um, we love them very much that we want more and more and more. But we don't know how long we're going to live on the farm yet. Mm -hmm. Maybe a year or two more. And uh, yeah, I love them. Um, every time I see a photograph or I, I look out the window, there it is. Um, What's the importance of art in people's lives? Oh, it beautifies, it, it gives you pleasure, it cheers you up, it lifts the spirit. It's very important. I think it's vital. Mm -hmm. Absolutely vital. Right. Um, you've been living in Peru most of your life, correct? Yeah, about 55 years more or less, or 56. Since you were two years old? Yes, and on and off. Yeah, and then you go to spells in Canada. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How is it living in Peru? What's your opinion of Peru in general? Well, I've lived it 55 of my 73 years in Peru because I love Peru. I love it. 
I love the coast. I love the desert. We were just in the desert a few days ago. I love the jungle. I love the mountains. It's all very um, perfect and paradisiacal. I don't know if that's an English word. It's like paradise. And it's a country that has all the climates and the geography um, sceneries that one can have. Um, I guess the uh, United States has a little bit of jungle in the south um, and then um, coniferous and maybe a little bit of desert and so forth. Um, it's interesting. Canada also is mainly the same thing. You just see fir trees the, and um, the Rockies and it has two oceans as well, well, two oceans as well as the United States. But Peru, you go into... I mean, in two hours, you're into something totally different. You, One moment you're chilly and another moment you're hot. It has over 200 climates, to tell you an idea, to give you an idea. It has, it's the breadbasket of the world because it has uh, the strangest and most delicious fruits and vegetables and roots as well, like the yuca and the chirimoya, lucuma, um, even the peanuts come from Peru, potato, of course. Uh, it's fantastic. I love it. I love it. It's just the politics are for the pits. What's up with the politics? No, don't ask me that because we've had five presidents and most of them are in prison, five <laughs> which is a joke. Five presidents in the last five years. Yes, which is worse even. Why do they last so little? Because at first they have a lot of ambition to improve Peru to give more to the poor, to improve the, the hospitals, the schools, the highways, um, everything, health system, so forth. But then, um, I guess the business people or other politicians say, you know, give me the contract and I'll give you something under the table and the president ends up corrupted. And then they get caught. Yes, and they get they caught. Up, and yes. then they end up in jail. Yes. Which I think it's kind of nice. Not nice that, that there's corruptions, obviously. But it's nice that Peru is a country where the presidents, if they misbehave, they're under a microscope and right away they catch him and they put him in jail. And then the next person gets a chance. Sadly enough, they'll shit the bed and they end up doing the same as opposed to really rising to the occasion and doing something for a good country. Well, fortunately, the judicial, judicial, well, my first language is Spanish, <laughs> uh, judicial system is pretty good. It's autonomous, so nobody can meddle with them. And they have been, uh, they have acted very quickly in... Um, divulging all the corruption. Um, this last president, Pedro Castillo, has, has over 22 demands. Is that the way you say it? Demands um, sued? He's been sued 22 times. Yes. Um, so they've caught everything. So they are scrutinizing everything that uh, the politicians are doing. So and now he's in that's jail. That's good. Yeah, he's in jail. And uh, they're giving a difficult time to the new president, which is the first woman president, Dina Boluarte. They're giving her a hard time. She started off very well. Let's see what happens, because I think she just has about two or three weeks mm -hmm. working as a president. 
So, as I was saying, you are pretty much a Peruvian. You were born in Canada, but you've lived here since two years old mm -hmm. uh, and most of your life. Yeah. So you're more Peruvian than most people, but you don't look Peruvian. You look like what people here would call a gringa, a foreigner. On top of it, you got blue eyes and you're ginger. What and is, freckles. What, what's the difference between uh, a quote-unquote normal-looking Peruvian and you? Is it a different experience or is it the same for everyone? Well, I'm used to it now. After 55 years, I'm, I'm used to it and I laugh and I, I tell them I'm not a tourist. Uh, I'm, I've been living in Peru much more than you. You're probably 20 years old or 40 years old. Um, but um, it really doesn't matter. Uh, it has been hard. Um, they do stare a lot. And in fact, I, just to tell you a little anecdote, the, um, a few years ago I went to a restaurant and a little girl came up to me and asked me, what is it that you have on your arms? Are you sick? And I said, no, it's freckles. It's just a... Pigmentation A, a pigmentation <laughs> of a red-headed person or a blonde. And um, she, I don't think she understood. So. There, obviously, it's a country in development, and many people have to learn more about the gringos. And they think that because one is white and blonde and blue-eyed and so forth, or green-eyed, um, that you are loaded with dollars in your pockets. And so um, every Wednesday, I would take my taxi to my book group from 4 to 6 in winter. And um, the, I would take my regular taxi, but once in a while I'd take another taxi and instead of charging me seven soles, they would charge me 20 soles because I'm a gringa. No, I'm a foreigner. They think I'm a tourist. And I say, no, no, I don't pay more than seven. And um, off you go. <laughs> I'll get another one because taxis are cheap and they're galore and they don't need to abuse the foreigners either. Did you get robbed more than usual because of it? No. No, I haven't. Because I'm tall. <laughs> oh, I probably intimidate them because I'm tall. I'm five foot seven. Um, but, well, we did get robbed once, one Sunday when we left our apartment alone. And yeah, but that's the house. That's not, a different... Not, that's not anything yeah. No, but out, out on the street just once my purse Mm -hmm. One evening I was coming back from the movies with my friends and uh, my sister-in-law, Regina, said, there's a thief coming. She, she can feel it in her bones. And uh, so I turned around, I had my purse hanging, and the thief came with his knife, cut the um, straps of my purse, took my purse, and swam into the window of his car, and off they went. And I was, <gasps> because it, it hadn't happened to me. And then at 11 o'clock, a few blocks away, a man called because they found my telephone number in, in my purse. And he said, um, I found my purse in the back part of my truck. Um, and the name is Josephine Bailey Dyer. Um, is that your wife? And Teddy said, yes, I'll go fetch the purse. And I only had 20 soles, which is about $5 
because mm -hmm. I had already eaten and gone to the movie, so I came home. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm happy you. you I got all my documents perfect. Everything was okay. So. I guess as a as an adult, you were in cars more than walking down the street a lot. Me, when I was a kid, I was walking around the streets a lot, taking buses, so I'd get mugged three to four times a year. Well, before I was married, I took micro buses to, uh -huh. to my work downtown Lima. Uh, oh. Nothing happened because it was another epoch. It was another time. It was the 70s and people were more respectful. But mm -hmm. little by little, crime is growing, like in all parts of the world. Mm. Um, uh, but I do walk a lot. I'm a walker. <laughs> I've always walked around my neighborhood. Well, um, you're also Canadian and you lived in different spells of Canada. You were born there. Um, is your family Canadian? What's your roots? Tell me a little bit about your parents. Um, is it true that my grandfather grew up in a castle? Yes, Christopher. <laughs> I find it very interesting. <laughs> um, yes, he grew up in a castle. He was the youngest of three siblings. He had two older sisters and they were attended by valets who would help them dress. This is where? Dress and undress when they were kids. But where? Oh, in Glanask, Wales, the castle of Glanask. And um, yeah, they were always on their own. And, um, well, I guess they went to private schools. Um, my father was to go to Eton, uh, but um, his, mother, his mother decided, no, he better go to another private school. Anyway, um, yeah, they were always tended or served by strangers, servants. What and was their job or their role? Well, they were kids growing up and their parents always socialized because uh, my grandfather was uh, Lord Joseph Bailey and my grandmother Vivian Carey. Uh, they were Lord and Lady and they had to go to all these social um, engagements in different mansions and castles, I guess. And they weren't very lovey-dovey with their children and that's why I'm my mother had a bit of a hard time with my father because he didn't know how to... He, he loved, he, was, he wasn't a bad man, but he was a bit cold. He was stoic and always a gentleman in a three-piece suit and would go out for walks when we were little children uh, with his walking stick and he very upright. He would never say, come on kids, let's go for a walk. Let's, I want to see you ride your bicycle. No. It was my mother's responsibility and, and the two or three maids that we had in, in Barranco, in the south of Lima. and Because um, you were born in Montreal, yeah. but then you guys moved to Peru when you were two years old. Yeah, I was born in Montreal and then my sister was born in Montreal. We, we came to Peru. I, I turned two in Peru. My sister was seven months old and my brother was born here. Mm -hmm. in, 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 San Isidro. How was it growing up in Peru in the 50s and 60s? Oh, it was quite nice. It was quite nice, even though there was a vast difference between the comfortable people, the rich people, and the very, very poor people. Then there was a lot of poor people, but 
There were people who lived off the land, and that was enough for them, and they were happy. And they were courteous, they were uh, um, respectful, very respectful. And um, uh, I, my mother, your nanny, would say it was the golden age because everybody helped each other. There was harmony. There was quite a nice amount of harmony. There was no fight until 1968. I was around 20, 19, 20 years old. And uh, the president, Juan Velasco Alvarado, did a coup d'etat. I don't know how you say it in English. Uh, a golpe de estado. Yeah, coup d'etat. <laughs> Is that the word that I know too? Yeah. It's when a, a, a per person takes over the government by yes. force. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he was a general. Yes. Or some military yes. character. Yeah. He was a military and government. And he kicked out the president. They yes. took him over in his pajamas, got him out, and he's like, I'm the president. Now. Yes. So this is yes. 68? Yes. I, I thought it was the 70s. No. Okay. It was the 68, but in the 70s, he started getting stronger and stronger, and he um, embedded in the poor people's mind, in the peasants, and uh, in the jungle, and in the mountains where the, in the Indians, in the, the natives live. In the provinces. In the provinces, uh, that um, there are, uh, uh, the rich are bad and we, you have to come to Lima and fight for your rights and it's not fair uh, what's happening. Of course, things have to improve in the provinces like hospitals and schools and give them better roads and uh, more opportunities, job opportunities, and so forth. But in that sort of envious and resentful manner, it was a bad idea. But it was a communist movement, right? Yes, yes. So they came to Lima, and they went straight to the palace, and he gave land away. He took away the farms from the people who had worked them for centuries, for many generations. He just took them away and had these Poor peasants um, go into these farms and um, they didn't know how to work the, the land. They knew how to work their small pieces of land and they lived happily with their houses, their little houses, and they were uh, healthy and comfortable. But um, then they, when they um, took over the farms of the more health, wealthier families, they didn't know what to do, and it just was a failure. It was a failure. So um, they claimed to the General Juan Velasco Alvarado, help us with, with seeds and uh, tractors and instruments, tools. And he said, sorry, but you're on your own. You know, I already gave you land. Do, do what you can. And it was a failure. It was a mm -hmm. failure government. That's how my dad's dad lost his um, hacienda, which is a um, city farm. Yeah, like a he, farm he, and a city mixed together. Yeah, he administrated it. He wasn't mm -hmm. the owner. He, he was the general manager. manager. Yeah. yeah. But and they kicked him out. They kicked him out. And because of the comings and goings and everything, uh, he was in an accident in the highway and um, he died. My father-in-law died. Mm-hmm. When my dad was nineteen, yeah, um, yeah, that's that whole it's chaotic. Yeah. That that whole 
episode was sad. Um, but in general, for the country, it seemed like it just, I don't know, like it created more division. And now today we got another wave of communism in Peru where the new leaders are saying like, screw the rich and uh you know let's take it away from them to give to the poor which like i understand where there's you know uh, differences and you want to make everything more balanced and and shared mm -hmm. because rich can also be like selfish and greedy yes, and, yeah. and take away from the poor too yeah. obviously we want the poor to be empowered also but it seems like with a <clears throat> communist way it's always not about like raising the poor it's about like lowering the rich so, and then everybody can meet down there yeah and meanwhile everybody's just the politicians are just stealing as much as they can so they can go up but so. the funny thing is that with with other presidents like belaunde garcia um and well toledo fujimori um they're the poor have grown to be middle class they have built not their um, shacks of straw or wood. They have built cement houses, two-story houses, and they live. They have a car. They go to school. They dress better. They have better work. There's a better percentage of middle class than there was with Velasco Alvarado or now with uh, Pedro Castillo. Poverty has grown as well. Mm -hmm. That's too bad because. It's so sad that a, a country with so many resources and beauty and tourism and, and you know, history, but it's just like the greedy politicians always come in and ruin it for everybody. Now, Peru is, Peru is a paradise, not only in geography, but in food. It's one of the first uh, culinary um, renowned countries in the world. And um, the people, people are good, good, and they have... Different provinces have different cultures. They have different clothing, their native clothings, and their different hats, and their different music, their different food. You go to Arequipa, you eat rocoto. You go to the north, you eat arroz con pato. You go to the, um, up in the mountains, you eat your yuca with your soups. You go to the jungle, you eat your palm hearts and um, boar, boar, no, jabalí. And um, it, it's extremely interesting. And the people are good. They give. They give. But a lot of resentment has gone into their hearts and minds, which is a shame. Mm -hmm. There well, should be another way. Let's go back to your youth. So that was in the 60s with politics and all that stuff. But you were in your 20s in the late 60s and the 70s, which around the world was like hippie times. Were you a hippie in those days here in Peru? How was the hippie movement in Peru at the time? I, it wasn't really big, but there were little cliques in different places where there were hippies that would get together and, well, smoke up and so forth, and incense and music and everything. But I was a wannabe. I, I really, I had my... Um, my old jeans and my ojotas, which is the Indian sandal made of uh, uh, car tires. <laughs> and well, I had very long hair, but I think I might have worn my headband once 
I had hats, I loved hats and I wore lots of rings because I was a fanatic, a fan of Ringo Starr. Um, and my Peruvian sash, that was at the most, but I wasn't much of a rebel. I was kind of scared perhaps, but... Mm -hmm. You were always I like, had one or two shy friends. when you were young, right? Yes, yes, I was an introvert, yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you smoke up? Well, just a little bit since when I was 18 until I was 23, more or less. I was started to work for the United Nations as a secretary, bilingual secretary, and I realized I went laughing. I laughed all afternoon. I said, I've got to stop this because I can't go working in a quiet place where everybody's typing their letters and I'm ha 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 laughing all the time. I was... I. I was uh, ridiculous, so I decided to stop because it would it would overlap to the next day and the next day, even though I didn't smoke anymore. Uh -huh. It kept on going, so I said, no, something's wrong here. So I, I stopped. Okay. Um, at what age did you meet my dad and how was that? Tell me about meeting my dad, Teddy. Okay, I worked in the Canadian Embassy for a month and a half replacing somebody who gave birth and it was summer the Canadian Embassy only works till two o'clock up to this day so I took my bag with my bathing suit and towel and I hitchhiked together with a friend whom I met a girlfriend and we went to the beach and um, we met a group of, of friends who were sitting on in the sand and my friend Violeta knew them because they're from the north of Peru and she's from the north of Peru. She's from Piura and, and some of them were from Chiclayo. And she started presenting me, introducing me. In Spanish you say present. And, um, and so we sat down, we had a nice day. And uh, the funny thing is I bought peanuts and uh, she introduced me to Teddy, whom they called Mono, monkey because he has a kind of a monkey way of acting and he's <laughs> hairy and <laughs> has thin lips, just like the monkeys do. And, um, but he's very um, sociable and funny, joking and so forth. Uh, anyway, so I treated them to my peanuts because I guess, I think that was my lunch. And then uh, we didn't know how to go home some of them had cars, some of them had motorcycles, and we, had, we didn't know how to go home, and we didn't want to hitchhike because it was about six or seven. It was getting dark. So um, Teddy said, I'll take you and you, me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the other, they picked and chose who they take home. And so he said, um, can I meet you the next day? We can go to um, to the... Um, boardwalk of the Malecon Miraflores, Miraflores boardwalk. Yes. and uh, we could see the sunset and so I said Woo! okay he wanted to make out with you <laughs> uh, we we went on his motorcycle and um, we met with some friends and we saw the sunset and we went for a ride and everything yeah okay so it wasn't just you and him no there were other friends okay and we went for a ride and then he dropped me off um, so that was 
46 years ago, mm -hmm. this March. And you yeah. guys are still together. No, in fact, 49 yeah. years because, yeah, well, let me tell you quickly. Um, we started dating and then uh, in March he wanted to become more serious. And um, six months later, he said, I want to marry you. And I said, mm, too soon. Six months is too soon. Uh, why don't we wait a little while longer? And uh, he said, okay. So I made him wait uh, three years. <laughs> uh -huh. But after two years going out, um, he gave me a ring. So we got engaged. Mummy came to make the engagement official. We drank champagne and all that. She came from Canada. Yes, mm -hmm. she came from Canada. Because she had already moved back to Canada yes. by then. But she told me, don't marry a Peruvian. Peruvians are very um, playful and they're not too faithful and this and that and the other. Well, I've been married for nearly 46 years, plus the three years that we've been together. Uh, well, as, as boyfriend, girlfriend, because I lived in a house of of a, a girlfriend of mine and um, and well marriage has been a roller coaster <laughs> and here we are still together yeah for good and for bad mm -hmm. well thank you for staying together that uh, you know that's great I suppose for me at the end whatever makes you guys happy but at the same time I guess a little bit less trauma uh, if uh, you guys uh, stay together and uh, keep each other company mm -hmm. in these uh, later yeah. years now that yeah. you're we've retired. We've had our adventures. We've had a good life, I must say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How was it uh, creating me? <laughs> well, um... I was conceived in Peru, right? Yes. Yeah. Because you moved to Canada already pregnant to have me yes. born. Yes. You were born 3rd of March. Then we went back to Peru. And in September 1979, we said, uh, Teddy, uh, your, your dad wanted to go back to Canada because he really liked it. Mm -hmm. So we sold some of our things and we took some of our Peruvian wooden carved furniture, typical Peruvian or Spanish pseudo-colonial furniture to Canada. You were one year old. Okay. So my first year I actually lived in Peru. Yes. Okay. Yeah, six months in Peru and then the rest in Canada. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sorry to ask you about me, but you know, no, I am the why host should of you be this sorry? Well, I, I love be, you. I don't want to be self-centered, but no. uh, you know, so... No, you're important to me. How was it, uh, how was I when I was young, a kid? A kid, a teenager, what comes oh, to mind? Oh, uh, you were like your papa, very energetic, very, um, very rambunctious. Uh, you got into a lot of trouble, you hit your eye with a uh, for sale, a house for sale sign, and then you um, you were talking to me and you knocked yourself, uh, I think it was here. Um, I against... knocked my front teeth out, right? Yes. Um, when I was five or something. In a, a small stone wall. Mm -hmm. And I took you to the first emergency right around the corner, fortunately. That was in Peru. You were four and a half, five years old then. Yeah, you so were... So they were my milk teeth. Yes. Um, once or twice? No. Once, I shouldn't really be telling you this while we're taping, but 
um, once I had to wash your face with cold water because you were so naughty. So I took you to the bathroom, washed your face with cold water so you can recapacitar. Calm you know? down. Yes, calm down. And another moment you were so naughty. I can't remember what was the, the problem, but I just put you into the shower and turned the cold shower on with clothes and all because you were so naughty. Oh, was then, an explosion of energy. Yes. <laughs> Yes, but anyway, um, but you were adorable and beautiful and well, we went on picnics and camping and traveling all over Peru to Chanchamayo to the jungle, down to the desert in Peru, to a hotel with swimming pool and we, we've had our fun and... Uh, Was I creative as a kid? Yes, you were creative. Um, I would, uh, I didn't have... Um, too many paintings, or maybe I had my paintings, but as you were four or five years old, I said I would, um, I, I like you to be creative, because that was something I was taught as well, not by my family, but by school, to get the rolls of toilet paper, the, the little carton in the middle, mm -hmm. or of uh, the cartons of the toothpaste or shoe boxes, and that you could stick and paste and paint and all sorts of things on top of newspaper and make buildings or cars. Spaceships. Spaceships as well. I think I remember. Yeah. And I haven't remembered till now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, spaceships had a, uh, yeah, the toothpaste boxes. Yeah. and. Then cool. I bought some watercolors for you, little bottles of colors and brushes. And uh, you would, uh, I would give you sheets so you can paint. And then in school, they, they asked you to do projects that were, that you could describe in, with art, it's not only what you memorize, memorize, memorize like other schools, mm -hmm. but uh, the school you went to, the British school you went to, uh, you had to be creative. You have to, had to get together with two or three of your schoolmates and um, do a big, big cartons of projects with pictures, cut out pictures and drawings and painting and all sorts of things. So it was very artistic and didactic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, why did you send me to that school, Markham well, College? Because my brother went to it, and it's a good school. It teaches you uh, not only the Peruvian way, but the international or British way of studying and um, for your English as well. Mm -hmm. um, was it difficult sending me to that school since it was more expensive? Well, when you started out, it was still uh, cheap. Peru was still cheap, so that was... Uh, Affordable. Yeah, it was in the 1980s, like 1983, four. five, yeah. And um, it was still affordable. Um, and then it became more expensive when they changed headmasters. He started screwing all the... No, tightening the screws um, with uh, better quality academically, and um, uh, demanding, well, that's a strong word, but asking, or the rule was for everybody to have a haircut, n shouldn't touch the collar of your shirt, your shirt has to be tucked in, your socks had to be just over your ankles, your shoes had to be polished, uh, you know, your uniforms had to be in perfect condition. And um, yes, and you had to speak in English during your breaks, um, always English, English. And so the quality of the school improved a lot. So 
we were happy to send you there because other schools were religious schools. And um, I heard canings and um, my girlfriends who went to nun schools, um, they, some of them got not traumatized, but really um, didn't like the way how the nuns prohibited everything. Everything was prohibited. Mm -hmm. you know, um, magazines or uh, language or s slouching or whatever. There were too many restrictions. So, Are you a spiritual person or religious or what's your take on spirituality? Uh, I think I'm more, more spiritual. Spiritual is a kind of religion. Um, I consider myself Christian, uh, though I'm Anglican. Um, I'm more, more of a Christian. I, I believe in perhaps in a higher power. I believe in angels. Um, I, one wonders how did the universe happen? I know it's explosive and it develops into something. Who knows there are other aliens, other civilizations living in other worlds, other galaxies. Um, how are we so such a, you know, um, a constructive uh, human being can work and can feed and take care of families, uh, do all sorts of intelligent things. Even though they're uneducated, it doesn't matter. It's an instinct. We have instinct and we have um, creative and um, protective minds. So I think, I, I think we are all spiritual in one way. It just depends on how we develop it. I'm very sensitive and um, I, I think I am a spiritual person. Do you think there's a... A general purpose to humanity or in our own individual lives? Is there like a goal or a reason why we're here existing or is it just random? I think we should just do the best we can without harming others. Um, we're, we're put on earth to to do well, to live perhaps a simple life or an extraordinary, extraordinary life but do well and not harm. There's a lot of harm, like for example, the war against Ukraine. I think that's a selfish, selfish war just to gain more land, more power, and I don't know, to stay in the books of history. But we, we should do well, and I think the world is improving in many ways, but it's deteriorating in other ways. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you have uh, hope or optimism in humanity or do you feel we're doomed and flawed? Oh, what a question. <laughs> no, I think there is hope. There is hope because lots of people are quietly doing things, very positive and constructive things. It's all good. Mm -hmm. um, I do have, I have hope that things will be better. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to see them, but I think I have a limited, limited time on Earth. But I'll see you. I'll float around, <laughs> mm -hmm. flap my wings and, and watch what's happening and hope for the best. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. So I know you're part of a, a, a book club, Las Chicas de la Literatura. Um, 
tell me about your love for reading and what's your favorite books. Well, <clears throat> I've been in this group for 30 years, maybe 31 years, and we're 30 girls, coincidentally. Um, and it's been every Wednesday from 4 to 6. Most book groups are only once a month, but this is four times a uh, week, and we love it. And little by little, those who don't love it much have left, and the best friends have stayed. So it's a super special group. We all love each other. We're all, uh, we talk intelligent and interesting um, about books and travel and thoughts and even spiritual things. Uh, very smart girls and very kind too. We help each other a lot. Um, What's some of the, your favorite books you've read <clears throat> in that yeah. 30 years? Uh, well, Regina directs it. Uh, I read thousands of books. <laughs> of course, one forgets some of the subjects, but um, those that have impressed me is Herman Hesse's Death in Venice. Then I like Gilgamesh, which is the first book ever written in Ur, um, Mesopotamia. Then Jane, from Jane Austen, Kafka, Edgar Allan Poe. I like Homer, I like the Iliad, uh, Ulysses, um, the Soldados de Salamina by, by the Spanish author Javier Cercas. The Divine Comedy is fascinating when somebody explains it to you by Dante Alighieri, Shakespeare and Don Quixote, uh, Federico Garcia Lorca, the biographies of Gandhi and uh, uh, different important people. I like biographies and I love history books. Uh, then the Turkish author Oran Pamuk also writes excellent. I have some books. I have most of the, most of these books, all of them I think. Un Mundo para Julius by um, Enrique Alfredo Bryce Echenique about Lima stories in the 1950s and the country club and so forth and how frivolous some of the high-class women were and the son who wanted things more simple. Anyway, then André Gide, which is more, more philosophical. Um, then there's this uh, Kenise Murouad. She was the, uh, an, a Turkish, no, an Indian author who came from aristocratic family and she wrote about the genealogy, about how India were, were different countries and it started uniting with wars and so forth. Anyway, I like biographies and history and I still read. I'm still reading Alice Munro, who just got a Nobel Prize. What's the importance of reading? It, it seems like less people mm. read these days or at least read books books less. Uh, what's the importance of reading and how will the world change in a world where people are not encouraged to read books anymore? Well, reading opens a world of things. You travel around, even if you're just sitting down quietly, you travel all over the world and you learn about cultures, about feelings, about different kinds of people, good, bad, selfish, you name it. And uh, it just opens your mind and it gives you a better perspective 
and it helps you deal with life as well. I think it educates you in a certain way. It's a lot of knowledge, and that, that's important. We need knowledge. We need to always educate ourselves until the day we die. Do you feel that's what's helped you being so open-minded about different things? Yes, yes. For example, um, in my group, there are two or three who are extremely Catholic and they just don't like the homosexuals. Um, it's very hard, but because we have been reading books about homosexuality between women and men and other transgenders, um, they realize that that's, that's how the world goes. Yeah, different expressions. So, so they might be still against it, but they're realizing that it exists, that you can't go against it and say, oh no, that should be discarded. They should be punished. They should be jailed. Or, I mean, we're in the 21st century. We got to be a little more open-minded. Mm -hmm. um, in your life, you've seen different uh, technological advances. I imagine when you were young, it was black and white TV. And now these days, everybody's got a supercomputer in their pockets where you can access anything and everything mm -hmm. for good and for bad. Yeah. Uh, what's your personal observation about this? Is it a positive thing, the advancement of technology, or is it too much power in our hands, or more power is a good thing? How do you see humanity advancing along with technology? Or... Is it not that different from when you were a kid? Just Oh, yes, it's quite different, quite different. We lived a very uh, healthy, um, innocent uh, life. We had the, first the mechanical typewriters, then the electrical typewriters, the IBMs. And we had the dial telephone and um, record players and all sorts of things like that. Um, it was fun. It was innocent, and obviously we didn't miss what we didn't know. But um, I think the cell phone, for me, it's fabulous because I keep in contact instantly with anybody I want to be uh, have contact with. Um, I love taking pictures. I've always loved photography. I remember when I was a, a girl, I had these instant discardable cameras where you had to twist for the next picture <laughs> and um, uh, I always loved photography and now uh, with all this technology I can take better pictures and I take pictures of my flowers, of birds, of the sun, um, friends and family. It brings a lot of memory. I'm very sentimental, I'm telling you. I think that has to do with spirituality as well. Mm -hmm. You know, you're sensitive. But unfortunately, some people use the technology in a negative way. I hear people don't want to go on TikTok, or I think the United States wants to eliminate TikTok. Um, and um, which is the other one? Uh, the one with the bird? Twitter. Twitter, uh, because they attack each other. And um, yeah, there are people who are cruel, who, who write negative things. Cyberbullying. I don't understand. Yeah. Why bother? Why waste your energy on something like that instead of doing something beautiful for yourself in any case? Be selfish and, and I don't know, sing, cook, dance, um, hug somebody instead of attacking somebody you hardly know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 
Well, um, it's a part of, of our human, of our humanity yes, too, that's yeah. being expressed through that. But with It'll greater happen. technology, there's greater power and greater responsibility. And most people just don't mm. care and they're misusing it yeah. and hurting more than they, yeah. they realize because yeah. they don't really feel the feelings of the people they're attacking. Obviously, they're sad, they're mm -hmm. jealous, they're resentful, they're carrying some sort of baggage. So they have to spew this. So yeah. we have to have pity for them and igno ignore them. Yeah, not, not energize yeah, it. Fortunately, I haven't gone through that. Would you consider we... yourself to be in the autumn or winter of your life? Uh, I am in the autumn of my life. Uh -huh. But you're retired and you're in a good stage. Are you happy in this stage of your life? Yes, I'm very happy. Thank the universe, the cosmos, the angels, and God, and everybody that I'm healthy. Mm -hmm. I'm healthy. I, I'm a happy person. I'm a positive person. I'm a, I'm a peaceful person as well. I'm very peaceful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember when you came to my um, art retreat in the jungle a couple years ago in 2019. You got along with all of my other students, and you know, I really loved you. They called you the mommy. And Papa was the oh, papi. Yes, yes. It was a really yeah. good vibe. How did you enjoy um, going to my retreat in the jungle? I enjoyed it. I, I went with a flow. First of all, the food was very bland. I mean, I can eat without salt and sugar. That's okay. I can eat lots of vegetables. That's okay. But it was really bland and boring and repetitive. Mm -hmm. It could have been a little more interesting. But it was what it was, and I take it as it is. Well, it wasn't like that they were bad cooks. Is that it's purposefully done bland, so that doesn't compete with the ayahuasca that you're drinking at night. Was it like that every year? Because I uh, think you told me it was more interesting other Yeah, years. it changed, but you know, they themselves were learning that if they add less condiments, salt and sugar, it ah, competes yeah. less with the medicine, and yeah. then the medicine can work better. Yeah. But we ate the same thing day after day and after... Anyway. Different cooks and different volunteers at different times will do different yeah. things. And, um, uh, no, I liked it. I liked the cabin. Um, Even though it was cold water and no cold electricity? Water. Uh, no, I liked the rusticity. No, the rustic... The, the, the cabin had just ticks in the shower. and um, But it didn't... Uh, it wasn't a revealing. Yeah, it was private. No, yeah, it was fine. Um, you got to do some art. Yeah, Papa wasn't too happy though. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, I liked all the activities. I didn't do the one in the river though, for some reason. I think I was still recuperating from my ayahuasca yeah. uh, sessions. Um, but and also the the tent. Uh huh. The Temascal. Yes. Yeah, that one might the have been sweating too hot Sweating and everything. Yeah. Well, I stayed as long as I could. But oh, you did yeah. get in, huh? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. But perhaps I was one of the few first ones that left because it, it was too much. Uh huh. How was doing ayahuasca three times? Fine. I'm surprised that um, that the shaman didn't give me a stronger uh, cup. Uh, cup the first time. I think he was careful. Yeah, well, he didn't I didn't feel your... a thing. Uh -huh. The second time, I didn't feel a thing. And the third time, I really enjoyed it. Um, it was... 
it was relaxing and I felt a pressure on me. I don't know what it was, but maybe it was my body weighing down and I felt kind of like floating but pressured and my feet were cold. So I covered myself with a blanket and I covered my face because I didn't want to... Uh, you wanted privacy. Embarrass, yeah. Uh, so I, I covered myself with my shawl and I went into these sort of angular, geometrical uh, sort of road or a cave or way until I got, then I, I relaxed. I said, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then it was a valley of squishy flowers. And it, I just went on and on in these bunches of flowers, flowers, flowers. I even drew it. And... Um, and it was great. It was hours. I felt it was hours. I did hear other people having a fun time, others dancing, others crying, others had different um, experiences. But I had a very good one. Mm -hmm. And Papa had a different one as well. Yeah, he was being cleansed more. Yes. Yeah. His two first ones were work. And the last one was like a prize, uh -huh. but le I'll let him explain it more. Yeah. But he'll have to explain it in Spanish because his English is hard for him to explain. Mm -hmm. Let's anyway, see if he agrees to do one of these interviews at some point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it so much that I want to do it again with a professional, of course, no? Mm -hmm. Like this last one I went. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for being open-minded. Uh, enough to join me in the jungle and do a very strong medicine. I know it took me years to convince you that it yeah. was all good and nothing dangerous. So thank you for trusting me and for being there and joining me in such a beautiful experience we all had together. Yeah. yeah it was well, time. I want to tell you another, uh, a little experience I had, which has nothing to do with it. It was when I was expecting you. Uh -huh. I was seven months pregnant. And um, I traveled to Canada, and Papa stayed in Peru because he had to sell a little business, a little blue jean factory business he had with a, a close friend of his, Quito Canaval. Um, so I ar arrived in, uh, in Canada with my bump and a dress, and um, the policeman stopped me as I was passing the customs agency, and they said, I'm sorry, but these two police women will take you into a room. And I said, why? Oh, we just want to, you, uh, we want to check you out. And I said, how strange. So they took me to the room and they said, please, will you lift your dress up? And I said, oh, what is happening here? So I said, okay, two women. Uh, I feel confidence with women. I lifted my dress up and they realized I had you, I was expecting you. And they said, oh, please put your dress down. I'm sorry. We thought that you were carrying bags of cocaine because that's what people do when they come from Peru. They have a very bad reputation. Uh -huh. So imagine confusing you with cocaine. Well, I'm happy they I'm were not a bag of cocaine. Yeah, um, they were so apologetic. They made the rest of my trip easy yeah i think that's a funny story yeah. i remember you telling it for my documentary which mm -hmm. you were also part of um positive creations on youtube if you guys want to check it out hour and a half story of my life um 
Yeah, thanks for it. I think that's so badass that you're like seven months pregnant and flying, you know, yeah. from country, from South America up to Canada. To, to give birth there, Yeah. to be with my mother. Uh -huh. She wanted to participate mm. because it was awfully expensive to have babies here. Oh, no way. Very, very expensive. And in Canada, it's free yeah. because there's a free health system and then me being born there yeah. made it that i'm officially canadian and yeah. i get health care and, and by chance i had a cesarean section it wasn't a, a, an easy birth yeah it was a cesarean section I so gave that's you a hard time that could be costly in peru too twice mm. as much right so uh, no 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 yes you gave me a hard time 18 hours of contractions and you just didn't want to come out <laughs> I want to stay in the spiritual world. What's with this physical world? Oh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> well, I'm happy to be here yeah. and to be of service. I love you. Oh, thanks. I love you too, Mom. Um, well, we're coming to the conclusion of this show. Uh, is there any final words of wisdom you'd like to share with our viewers? Well, um, the few experiences I've had lately... Uh, in let's say in a couple of months, I would say that my motto has always been since I was a teenager, live and let live. Don't butt into other people's lives. Don't be judgmental. Don't expect anything. No, if you don't expect anything, you won't be hurt. So giving is natural. We give love, we help and everything, but don't expect that one should do the same to you. Mm -hmm. it, that's uh, that's what I feel, no? Um, Give unconditionally. Yes, unconditionally. Yeah. Um, other words of wisdom, keep studying, keep researching, keep learning. Don't ever stop reading and, and learning until the rest of your life because there's so much to learn, mm -hmm. so much to learn about different fruits or probably continents or how the world was made, or um, how our body works, or what is out there in the atmosphere, in the galaxies. So much to learn. Mm -hmm. I, I like ast astrology as well. I don't know much, but I'm always reading up and looking at astrology and um, different cultures of the world. They're so interesting. Well, thanks, man, for being a guest on my on my podcast show. How was it? <laughs> not too bad. No, not too bad. No, uh, I'm glad I'm I'm in in your group of uh, podcast interviews. Of, of course, not only you're my mom, but you're also one of my creative friends. So. Bueno, me tienes que dar un abrazo. <laughs> love you. Love you too, mom. <laughs> and I love you too, guys. And <laughs> thank you for tuning in to another week of Chris Dyer's Creative Friends. And uh, please make sure to press the like button and subscribe if you haven't subscribed yet and make a comment if this uh, interview uh, touched any part of you and share it, you know, share it on your Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Like it'd be really great if this whole series could be seen by more people. And that's just done by word of mouth. I don't have a huge budget for it. Um, the puppies are going at it out there. But uh, yeah, I appreciate your help, help helping me spread it out. So thank you so much and I'll see you next time. Blessings. Woo. <laughs>
So please make sure to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Big thanks, and see you next episode. Peace.